Man. Welcome to another episode of the Page Terms Podcast with your boy Big L, also known as Elgin Bailey, also known as Bishop Heavy Set Voice. I want to thank you guys, man, for tuning in to episode 23 of the season one, where we have been walking through the late, great Dr. James H. Cohn's Black Theology and Black Power, man. Um, first, before I dig into this particular session, man, I want to say thank you to some folk. I want to say thank you to all those people, man, who have been listening to this podcast from day one, who have been incredibly supportive, uh, whether it be the sharing, uh, offering feedback, criticism, all those different things, man. I am so thankful for all of you guys, man. The numbers of the listeners, man, has blown my mind. I didn't think that this, uh, well, honestly, I didn't come into this with the thought process of trying to be popular or any of those things, man. I did it because, for one, I have a passion for reading. I love to read. I have a passion for Uh, books I have a passion for wanting to see people acquire knowledge to hopefully uh, bring some enjoyment to their life some 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 joy some peace some calm and to also equip them man for whatever battle and stress and, and difficulty they may be facing in life uh but also to be able to read books, man, and to look at things um, from a, a a black perspective. Because, for one, if you look around, you'll see a ton of, uh, let's take YouTube, for instance, a ton of book review platforms and, and, and channels. And predominantly, most of these Uh, those channels are of white people white males and white females who are getting thousands and thousands of views and you know ads and all these things for doing book reviews but you don't see too many black folks picking up a book man and just walking through it discussing the relevancy the intricacies and and just breaking it down and having a discussion. So that's what I really wanted to do with the page turners. That's the objective. That's the goal of what I do here, man. So I want to thank you guys for just supporting this, man. As I'm back in school full time with the wife, the you know, the children and doing the family thing and doing some things in the community. Uh my schedule with doing the podcast hasn't been nearly as consistent. <clears throat> so, 
sometimes it may not come out until Thursday. It may not come out until Tuesday. But a way to handle that is to subscribe to the channel, to be to favorite the channel, to subscribe. No matter what platform that you're listening to this on, if you subscribe to this channel, you'll get a notification all the time. And I'm guaranteeing you to give you a podcast, man, at least once a week. <clears throat> at least once. To drop something at least once. I'm guaranteed to drop something at least once. I'm guaranteed to give you any something anywhere between 20 to 30 minutes. I'm not going to hold you much longer than that. Uh, I know there's 101 different podcasts out there. And I know you guys are incredibly busy doing life. So, I want to be able to give you 20 to 30 minutes of impactful information, man. Hopefully, life-changing, seed-planting, seed-watering information. So, that's what we're going to do here with the Page Turners Podcast. This is episode number 23 of the Page Turners Podcast. Thank you all for listening, man. Uh, We are almost done this book. We are almost done. I'm very, very excited about uh, the next season. But let us begin reading and diving into Black Theology and Black Power by the late, great Dr. James Cone. This is chapter 7, titled, Revolution, Violence, and Reconciliation. And the text reads, It does not matter how many gains are made in civil rights, progress is irrelevant. The face of the black revolutionary will always be there as long as white people persist in defining the boundary of black being. It is the price one pays for oppression. The system symbolized in the words law and order can only mean injustice for black people as long as the structure operates on the basis of racism. The appeal to democracy becomes a facade behind which the white hierarchical defends its right to rule over blacks. In any case, the majority of black people see no relationship between the democratic process and their attempt to be free. It is in this situation that black theology must speak the word of God. How does it begin to deal with the face of black revolutionary? Black theology says, with Jose Mignon, that a Christian must think through the question of revolution on the basis of his faith and he must express this interpretation in the concrete situation and translate it into action. This means that the Christian is placed in a situation in which he alone makes the choice. The dichotomy between good and evil, right and wrong, is a false one. The Christian man has not to simply decide between right and wrong and between good and evil, but between right and right and between wrong and wrong. Precisely in this respect, responsible action is a free venture. It is not justified by any law. It is performed without any claim to a valid self-justification and therefore also without any claim to an ultimate valid knowledge of good and evil. Good as 
what is responsible is performed in ignorance of good and in surrender to God of the deed which has become necessary, which is nonetheless for that very reason, free. Black theology realizes that violence per se is not the primary question. Violence is a subordinate and relative question. It is subordinate because it has to do with the cost of desire change. The question of the legitimacy of revolution is not decided on the basis of legitimacy of violence and vice versa. Violence is a cost that must be estimated and pondered in relation to a particular revolutionary situation. It is relative because in most revolutionary situations, violence is already a fact constitutive of the situation. Injustice, slave labor, hunger, exploitation are forms of violence which must be weighed against the cost of revolutionary violence. And let me say this, man. I'm I'm not a non-violent guy. I don't have a non-violent stance when it comes to fighting oppression of any kind. Okay? That's that's not, not, I'm never going to, I have a self-defense stance. And with the way that Dr. Cone just described violence in the manner of which he described it, particularly when he just said injustice, slave labor, hunger, exploitation are forms of violence, I don't understand how one can hold a nonviolent perspective in light of constantly being faced with that type of violence. I think that that, that nonviolence, and, 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 and when we tend to think of violence, we tend to think of physical violence. We tend to think of guns, fighting, uh, bombs, explosion, terrorism, all those things. But no, violence can be revolutionary acts of protest against the violence that one is facing. It doesn't have to be physical fisticuffs, fighting, rumbling, all that type of stuff. No, it can be revolutionary, radical fighting of injustice, you know, campaigns against particular systems, uh, buying and renting particular politicians to push particular agendas that go counter to what is not oppressing us. That's not that. That's what we have to make sure that when we talk about violence, we're not putting it in this singular, isolated box, okay? And the text reads: It is this fact that most whites seem to overlook the fact that violence already exists. The Christian man does not decide between violence and non-violence, evil and good. He decides between the less and the greater evil. He must ponder whether revolutionary violence is a less or more is less or more deplorable than the violence perpetuated by the system. There are no absolute rules which can decide the answer with certainty. But he must make a choice. If he decides to take the nonviolent way, then he is saying that revolutionary violence is more detrimental to man in the long run than systemic violence. Let me read that last part one more time because I want it to be clear. But he must make a choice. If he decides to take the nonviolent way, 
then he is saying that revolutionary violence is more detrimental to man in the long run than systemic violence. But if the system is evil, then revolutionary violence is both justified and necessary. Whether the American system is beyond redemption, we will have to wait and see. But we can be certain that black patience has run out and unless white America responds positively to the theory and activity of black power, then a bloody, protracted civil war is inevitable. There have occasionally been revolutions, massive redistribution, redistributions of power without warfare. There have been, there have occasionally been revolutions, massive redistributions of power without warfare. It is passionately to be hoped that this can be one of them. The decision lies with white America and not least with white Americans who speak the name of Christ. See that that I've always said, man, when people begin to talk about equality and pushing for equality and fighting equality, I always ask them to define equality. What is equality? What does it look like? Because if you're in a situation where equality doesn't exist, it's it's not present, and that would be fair to say about the current state of the descendants of slaves here in in America and white people. There's not equality here, okay? There's a myth, a perception, an illusion of equality, but there's not equality here. In order to get equality, to, to create equality, those who are in power have to lose, give, have taken some of their power and given to the parties that doesn't have as much power to create equality. And I'm an advocate. I mean, I mean, a studier of history. I can't find one time in history where those people who are in power willingly gave up their power to those who didn't have as much to create equality. I've never seen it. But that's, that's exactly what people are pushing for in when they strive and talk about equality. Reconciliation. And this is a big section right here, man. Mm-mm-mm. Okay, let me dig in. When black theology emphasizes the necessity of a theology of revolution based on the unity of black people committed to the task of destroying white racism, it is to be expected that many white religious people will ask, what about the biblical message of reconciliation? Whites who ask the question of blacks should not be surprised if some blacks reply, yeah man, what about it? The question, while it may be legitimate, bears a close resemblance to the old, new question about integration and love. White people creating the barriers of separation now want to know whether black people are willing to let bygones be bygones. That is why Stokely Carmichael said, as for separatism, what are they talking about? We have no choice. They separated us a long time ago and they sure intend to keep it that way. I need to highlight that one because that's a heck of a quote. 
white people have short memories. Otherwise, how are black people to interpret questions about reconciliation, love, and other white values? It is human to expect black people to pretend that their parents were not chattels in society. Do they really expect black people to believe that their status today is unrelated to the slavery of the past? Do they expect black people to believe that this society is not basically racist from top to bottom? And now white religious people want to know what can be done about the wall of hostility between blacks and whites. Some critics of black theology are certainly going to suggest my approach to theology will do more toward the separation of black and white Americans than toward reconciliation, and yet there is an appropriate concluding word to be spoken about reconciliation. First, let me say that reconciliation on white racist terms is impossible. Since it would crush the dignity of black people, under these conditions, blacks must treasure their hostility, bringing it fully into consciousness as an irreducible quality of their identity. If white people insist on laying the ground rules for reconciliation, which can only mean black people denying the beauty of their blackness, then black people must do everything within their power to destroy the white thing. Black people can only speak of reconciliation when the black community is permitted to do its own thing. The black community has experienced a crushing white thing too long. Therefore, black theology believes that in order for reconciliation to be meaningful and productive, black people must have room to do their own thing. The black community itself must lay down the rules of the game. White oppressors are incompetent to dictate the terms of reconciliation because they are enslaved by their own racism and will inevitably seek to base the terms on their right to play God in human relationships. The history of slavery and Jim Crow and integration efforts renders white people virtually incapable of knowing even how to talk to black people as a person. It is this fact that nullifies the good intentions of concerned white religious people who insist that they are prepared to relate to black people as human beings. They simply do not know how. Since racism is inseparable from the history of America, and since practically all white people in this country are taught from birth to treat black as things, black theology must counsel black people to be suspicious of all whites who want to be friends of black people. Therefore, the real question is not whether black theology sees reconciliation as an end, but rather on whose terms are we to be reconciled. <coughs> Excuse me. So when we start talking about reconciliation, man, there's a lot to unpack there. A lot to unpack. The problem of reconciliation and, oppre- and the oppressor's problem, being accustomed to defining human relationships between themselves and the slaves on its terms, they naturally think that they have a monopoly on truth and right behavior. But when the slaves begin to say no to the God behavior of the masters, the masters are surprised. They are surprised because they thought the slaves were happy. They cannot believe that the hostilities of the slaves stem from anything that the masters themselves have done. But neither can they believe that the unrest in the slave camps is motivated from within the slave community. Therefore, in an attempt to explain the phenomenon of slave hostility, the masters devise tests 
which will show that most, if not all, people in society are happy and the disorders are created by outside agitators who can easily be lumped into one category, communists. All unhappiness is a lie created and perpetuated by the ungodly communists who want to destroy the free American society. There are usually enough slaves around who have been so crushed by the forces of evil that they do in fact respond according to the intentions of the master. Those slaves become the actual evidence that the slaves as a whole are satisfied with their condition. With this kind of assurance, the masters can begin to stamp out offenders against law and order, killing or caging all who refuse to cooperate with the laws against humanity. It is impossible for the oppressed black people of America to have a dialogue with men who have this perspective. They can only say in word and deed, think what you like about America and its goodness towards blacks. But the black experience is different, and as long as you persist in that attitude, not only will there be no reconciliation, but soon it will be impossible for even for us mutually to survive. But sometimes it dawns on the liberal oppressors that the oppressed do not wish to be slaves any longer and will stop at nothing to break the chains. Sometimes it enters their minds that progress is irrelevant. What the oppressed want is freedom now. When the liberal oppressors come to that recognition, they will ask, what are we to do? These people want to know whether all has been lost. They are inquiring whether reconciliation is possible in spite of slavery and the present crushing of every black attempt to be black. What can we say to this group? We must inform them as calmly and clearly as possible that black people cannot talk about the possibilities of reconciliation until full emancipation has become a reality for all black people. We cannot talk about living together as brothers as long as they do everything they can to destroy us. While black people may continue to work in the factories, teaching schools, even fighting wars, there is no law that blacks have to love whites. And as long as whites may pass laws against blacks, black people will affirm their dignity in spite of white racism at every opportunity. This country is, and will continue to be, two societies, one black, one white. As long as whites demand the right to define the basis of relationship, for white people to speak of reconciliation at the very moment that they are subduing every expression of black self-determination is the height of racist arrogance. Some of our liberal white friends will probably insist that we are not being fair. When white people speak of black people being fair, I am reminded of John O'Keelan Soli Sanders in And Then We Heard the Thunder. When Soli rejected his white mistress' love because of his realization that all blacks are the same to whites, she says, you hate me because I'm white, and I don't blame you, but it isn't fair. It just isn't fair. But Soli replies, fairness is a thing no white man has a right to ask of color. I mean, look who has been unfair to who. Who's been unfair to my mother, her mother, and my father, and his father? Who will be unfair to my son and his children? Fairness is a word that should choke in the white man's throat. I'm not asking any white man to be fair with Sully Sanders, baby. I live with no such false illusions. Do not misunderstand me. 
Black theology is a theology which takes seriously God's reconciling act in Jesus Christ. In fact, the heart of the New Testament message is the gospel of reconciliation. As St. Paul says, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. 2 Corinthians 5.19 Among other things, this means that the wall of hostility is broken down between blacks and whites, making color irrelevant to man's essential nature, but in a white racist society. Black theology believes that the doctor, the biblical doctrine of reconciliation can be made a reality only when white people are prepared to address black men as black men and not as some grease-painted form of white humanity. Black theology will not respond positively to whites who insist on making blacks as white as possible by de-emphasizing their blackness and stressing the irrelevance of color while really living as racists. As long as whites live like white people through marriage, schools, neighborhood, and power, black people must use blackness as the sole criteria for dialogue. Otherwise, reconciliation will mean black people living according to white rules and glorifying white values, being orderly, calm, while others enact laws which will destroy them. Black theology must reject outright this style of behavior and insist that black people can bring something to the relationship. They must bring a system of black values which deny that white is right and stress the beauty of being black. They must bring color to a sterile, deprived white people who have endeavored to label this world for whites only. The task of black theology is to make the biblical message of reconciliation contemporaneous with the black situation in America. According to the New Testament, reconciliation is the exclusive work of God in which he becomes man in Jesus Christ in order that the depraved human might become whole. Karl Barth put it this way, the subject matter, origin, content of the message received and proclaimed by the Christian community is at its heart the free act of faithfulness of God in which he takes the lost cause of man who has denied him as creator and in so doing ruined himself as a creature and makes it his own in Jesus Christ, carrying it through to his goal in the way maintaining and manifesting his own glory in the world. Reconciliation means that God has changed the God-man relationship by making the the cause of the creature of the creator's cause. Sorry, let me read that again. Reconciliation means that God has changed the God-man relationship by making the cause of the creature the creator's cause. The incarnation means that reconciliation is no longer hoped for what is a reality? It is a reality between God has done for man and what man was powerless to do for himself. Basically, this means a restoration of deceased. Basically, this means a restoration of diseased humanity. It means that man can now be what he is, a creature made for fellowship with God. But that is only one side of reconciliation. To be reconciled with God involves reconciliation with the neighbor. To be pledged to God is to be pledged to other men. That is why the reconciling work of Jesus Christ involves a gathering of those who are committed to obedience in the world. 
The Christian community is inseparable from the work of the Holy Spirit. It is that community which accepts God's justification of man in Christ and is thus prepared to live as justified men. When we analyze the black-white relationship in the 20th century in light of God's reconciling work in Jesus Christ, the message is clear. For black people, it means that God has reconciled us to an acceptance of our blackness. If the death resurrection of Christ means anything, it means that blackness of black people is a creation of God himself. God came into the world in order that black people need not be ashamed of who they are. In Christ, we not only know who we are, but who God is. This is the heart of the biblical message. God has created man in such a way that man's humanity is inseparable from divine fellowship. <laughs> it is an expression of man's inhumanity to rebel against God. Therefore, when black people say yes to their humanity by affirming their blackness, we must conclude that the affirmation was made possible through God's reconciling act in Jesus Christ. The task of black theology is to inform black people that because of God's act in Christ, they need not offer anyone an apology for being black. Rather, be glad of it. Shout it. It is the purpose for which we were created. This is the meaning of the gospel of reconciliation to black people. Reconciliation not only means that black people are reconciled to themselves and thus to God, but also to other men. When the other men are white people, this means that the black people will bring the new restored image of themselves into every human encounter. They will remain black in their confrontations with others and will demand that others address them as black people. They will not let whitey make an it of them, but will insist with every ounce of strength that they are people. For white people, God's reconciliation in Jesus Christ means that God has made black people a beautiful people. And if they are going to be in a relationship with God, they must enter by means of their black brothers who are manifestations of God's presence on earth. The assumption that one can know God without knowing blackness is the basic heresy of the white church. They want God without blackness. Christ without obedience, love without death. What they fail to realize is that in America, God's revelation on earth has always been black and red or some other shocking shade, but never white. Whiteness is revealed in the history of America. It's an expression of what is wrong with man. It's a symbol of man's depravity God cannot be white even though white churches have portrayed him as white. When we look at what whiteness has done to the minds of men in this country, we can see clearly what the New Testament meant when it spoke to the principalities and powers. To speak of Satan and his powers becomes not only just a way of speaking, but a fact of reality. When we can see a people who are being controlled by ideology of whiteness, then we know what reconciliation must mean. The coming of Christ means a denial of what we thought we were. It means destroying the white devil in us. Reconciliation to God means that white people are prepared to deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow Christ. To be sure, this is not easy. But whoever said the gospel of Christ was easy. Obedience always means doing, going where we otherwise would not go. Being what we would not be doing what we would not do, 
Reconciliation means that Christ has fixed us for this. In a white society, <coughs> excuse me. In a white society, Christian obedience can only mean being obedient to blackness. It's glorification and exaltation. The problem in white society is that it wants to assume that everything is basically all right. It wants black people to assume that slavery never existed and the present brutalities inflicted on them are the working of an isolated individual and not basically a part of the system itself. Yeah, hear that all the time. In this sense, what in the devil? My bad, family. In this sense, reconciliation would mean admitting that white values are the values of God. It means black people accepting the white way of life. It assumes that black people have no values except those which are given by white masters. But according to black theology, it is the other way around. Reconciliation does not transcend color, thus making us all white. The problem with values is not that white people need to instill values in the ghetto, but white society itself needs values so that it will no longer need a ghetto. Black values did not create the ghetto. White values did. Therefore, God's word of reconciliation means that we can only be justified by becoming black. Reconciliation makes us all black. Through this radical change, we become identified totally with the suffering of the black masses. It is this fact that makes all white churches anti-Christian in their essence. To be Christian is to be one of those who God has chosen. God has chosen black people. It is to be expected that many white people will ask, how can I, a white man, become black? My skin is white and there is nothing more I can do. Being black in America has very little to do with skin color. Say that again. To be black means that your heart your soul, your mind, and your body are where the dispossessed are. <clears throat> we all know that a racist structure will resist and threaten a black man in white skin as quickly as a black man in black skin. It accepts rewards whites in black skin nearly as well as whites in white skin. Therefore, being reconciled to God does not mean that one's skin is physically black. It essentially depends on the color of your heart, soul, and mind. Some may want to argue that persons with skins physically black will begin a running start on others. But there seems to be enough evidence that although one's skin is black, the heart may be lily white. The real questions are, where is your identity? Where is your being? Does it lie with oppressed blacks or with the white oppressors? Let us hope that there are enough to answer these questions correctly so that America will not be compelled to acknowledge a common humanity only by seeing blood is always one color. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to thank you guys, man, for tuning in and joining in and being a part of season one of the Page Turners podcast where we have walked through and completed and finished Black Theology and Black Power by the late, great Dr. James H. Cohen. Again, man, I ask you guys to share 
share, man. Whatever platform you're you listening to this on, <clears throat> there's a way to share, excuse me, this information. There's a way of supporting this information, man. If you want to financially support, because there are people who want to buy the books, who who um, the books that I'm using during the book studies. If you want to help me buy books for young children in the community, there's also ways for you to support that, man. So feel free to hit me up. You can find me on Twitter at Elgin Bailey. The email address for the Page Turners podcast is as follows. Page Turners BTM at gmail.com. That is Page Turners BTM at gmail.com. You can find me on Facebook at Elgin Bailey. I'm all over the place, man. Again, uh, news round of applause for all of you folks, man, who have supported what we have done here. We are finished with this and we will be moving on to our next season, season two on October the 1st, man. Until then, take care.